0: Welcome to Mirror and a Flashlight, a podcast from the Chicago Women's Health Center. In this podcast, we explore the history, stories, and practices of the Chicago Women's Health Center, for short, CWHC, a feminist collective that's been evolving and transforming for decades. My name is Ari, and I'm the producer of this show. Hello. In this first episode, you're going to learn about the history of the feminist health movement from a very special collective member.
1: My name is Terry Capsalis. I am a writer. I write about medicine and culture, and particularly the history of gynecology. And the Health Center has really informed how I think about the things I write about. So I was working there while I was writing my dissertation.
0: So I sat with Terry in her backyard on a corner on the far north side of Chicago. The yard was a little dug up here and there from her new puppy that had made this plush green lawn into her muddy personal playground. Terry's wearing a boat hat to shade her eyes from the sun and her gray curls and little pigtails rest right on her shoulders. She offered me some cashews and water before we started to chat. A classic Terry offering.
1: Of is okay.
0: To tell the story of the health center is to tell the story okay. of the feminist health movement itself. Okay. Terry makes so clear that the legacy of racism and capitalism in our country is the exact groundwork of our current healthcare system that makes the work of CWHC as relevant as ever, 45 years later. The truth is, there is no CWHC without the feminists of the 1960s. I ask Terry, how does CWHC uphold the health movement's core values and continue to create a place for us to receive healthcare that is actually about care and not profit? Here's Terry.
1: A lot of what we're talking about culturally is this, right now, is this idea of what is care, and care as a political act. The feminist health movement and the, and the history, where we come from, care has always been at the center, and we always recognize that as a political act. I've been at Chicago Women's Health Center since 1991, and went as a client. And was completely blown away. The care, the humanity, the gentleness. And I thought, I want to be a part of this place. The roots of the model come out of a medicine that was not seeing people, not listening to people was really inhumane. OK, so we can go to the birth of gynecology as a specialty. And we can go to um, James Marion Sims, who is often referred to as the father of modern gynecology. And he did his experiments on enslaved women in a backyard hospital in Alabama. Written into the foundation of medicine as and gynecology as a specialty, is this incredibly violent, brutal treatment of enslaved women? There's almost like a continuation, like a lineage. What birth? And gynecology was, in the 50s and 60s, was still brutal. The incredible medicalization of, of birth, for instance, came directly out of the systematic elimination of midwives, and particularly midwives of color. At the time that the feminist health movement started, was completely paternalistic, patronizing, and horrifying in terms of Rampant hysterectomies, sterilization abuse on particularly communities of color, but sterilization happening throughout the U.S.
0: Next to her is Andrea Smith
1: from the United States, a feminist thinker and anti-violence activist from the Cherokee Nation. Andrea, Andrea Smith Gowdard, writes about this in terms of indigenous cultures in the U.S., that if you sterilize women, if you abuse and violate Native women, that is also how you can capture and um, take over Native lands. In terms of what was going on with sterilization abuse in this country at the time that the feminist health movement started, the people that were most Subject to those kinds of abuses were Native women, um, Black women, Latino women. Uh, These these were the folks that that were being impacted the most. So this requires kind of an integrated mind-body-spirit framework that builds a holistic movement for change that is also simultaneously so much fun that people can't wait to join. (laughs) So the feminist health movement came out of these really abusive and violent times with this idea that we want more control over our bodies, over our health care, and what can we do to create new systems of teaching people and also experiencing our own bodies. There were all these consciousness-raising groups that started as a way of building awareness where people are having conversations about things like sexual pleasure and domestic violence and rape and things that were completely taboo topics. One of the things they did within consciousness-raising groups was learn how to insert their own speculums so that that they could look at their cervixes. ...are trying to get away from the idea of authorities to demystify medicine, to be able to talk about um, our bodies so that we can know more about our own bodies and control our bodies, know what sort of information we need to know, what sort of information we need to find out. <laughs> this is the the speculum. You see these images now, do, of a group a of women of sitting in a circle, you know, each with a speculum in and a mirror and a flashlight looking at their cervixes. That is something that we still hold really dear at Chicago Women's Health Center when we're seeing people who have cervixes, regardless of who we're seeing, offering a mirror if they want to see their genitals and the genital exam. And if they do have a cervix, offering a speculum and a flashlight so that they can shine the the flashlight into the mirror, reflect into the vaginal cavity, and then their cervix is visible It can be a really, really magical thing. Partly because a lot of people don't even know it's in there. Um, Nobody's ever offered them the opportunity before to see this part of their body that they can really only see with a speculum, a mirror, and a flashlight. At the same time... In the late 60s, early 70s was a time of kind of radical political upheaval. And there were all these other groups, like in Chicago, Black Panthers, Young Lords, Young Patriots, that were also creating their own clinics with the idea that in our hands for us, medicine Relative for us, not for profit.
0: concept behind the medical center is that we would take the profit out of the medical profession. Our medical center is a direct
1: result of the basic need in the Black community for a free medical service.
0: It was this organizing and these movements of Black, Brown, and Indigenous activists that laid the groundwork for what came next in the United States feminist health movement.
1: CWHC specifically came out of a fascinating group called JANE, the Underground Abortion Service, that started in Chicago and existed from 1969 to 1973. And the members of JANE helped with about 11,000 abortions before abortion was legal. They would put their number on bathroom stalls and, and in clubs and in these different places saying, if you need help, call Jane. It was very much in the same language that we still talk about what we do at CWHC. It was about good communication, treating people with respect and humanity and you know, very much in the same, in the same vein. Folks from Jane were caught. They raised money for a defense fund. And then Roe v. Wade passed, the charges were dropped, and with that money they started a clinic um, called Emma Goldman Women's Clinic, which is named after um, the famous anarchist and midwife and birth control advocate, Emma Goldman. Part of the group wanted to work with medical professionals, collaborate with medical professionals in order to broaden services. And they saw that as a class and race issue because people needed access to care. And the other part of the group refused to work with medical professionals because they said that would introduce a kind of hierarchy that they weren't interested in, and it was a power issue. So the group that wanted to collaborate with medical professionals broke off and became Chicago Women's Health Center in 1975. Emma Goldman Women's Clinic ended. What I find really interesting is that that whole argument, which apparently was days and days of arduous blood-curdling, brain-bashing arguments within that collective kind of became a completely moot point because um, I think it was, well, it was in the mid-'80s that um, Tanya, who was the last member of the Emma Goldman Women's Clinic, who was the key holder, locked the door of their rented space and came over to Chicago Women's Health Center and became the medical director. It's important when talking about the history of the feminist health movement to recognize that there were a large percentage of folks part who were part of that movement that did identify as white and there has been a lot written about harm done within that movement in the fact that folks didn't necessarily recognize people who might be different from them so people who were not white and thin and able bodied and straight, and all these different categories might not have easily found a home within this movement. That's not to say that there weren't many women of color and women of many different identities who were involved in activist healthcare as well but within the feminist health movement that is one of the critiques. So I think when we're talking about the feminist health movement, it's important not to talk about it as this kind of kumbaya everybody was included, um we are the world kind of way. I've also been studying a lot about the history of first wave feminism and specifically the eugenic feminists like Margaret Sanger who was Um, has been kind of lauded as the founder of Planned Parenthood. And these eugenic feminists picked up this idea that was found within mainstream eugenics of, you know, let's be feminists in order to uplift the white race. So if white women can get education and they can have occupations and they can have the vote, that actually... Doesn't just benefit these white women, it benefits the white race. And so I think part of what we need to look at when we're looking at second wave feminism is how adamantly did folks reject that history? And I think part of the problem might be that we don't see enough overt rejection of that history. So when we're talking about certain organizations and the fact that they completely embrace new contraceptive technologies that might be used punitively on poor women and women of color, we need to really look at what's happening there because there needs to be a recognition of that history and how some of these early feminists actually upheld white supremacy in terms of their very platform of what they were advocating for. I do think CWHC is thinking about this history because I think about the kind of care and thought we have put into each new birth control method. I think birth control is actually a great example we never agreed to do Depra-Provera shots, and we never agreed to insert nor plant. And if you look at the history of these methods in terms of both research and implementation and how they were used within a penal system, there was really good reason for not using certain methods. I do think, actually, birth control is a great example of the way that Chicago Women's Health Center, in having lots of conversation and careful discussion, has made decisions that haven't fallen in some of those other traps. If you advertise, like, client-centered, respectful, you know, patient-centered, respectful care, people are going to buy it. But the question is whether the care really mirrors what people say it is. Nobody is denied services regardless of ability to pay. And the sliding scale is self-determined. So we don't ask to look at somebody's tax returns or approve their income. We tell them what the suggested fee is, what it slides up to, what it slides down to and they determine what they can afford. So I'm thinking about Jane, and from what I understand about Jane and the underground abortion service, nobody was denied abortion, um, regardless of their ability to pay. People prided themselves on offering the same quality of care, regardless of who was being seen. I feel like that is very much the spirit in which CWHC operates today. Time is something that we do really well at the health center. We let people have the time they need to ask questions and to be participants. You cannot have that happen within a five to eight minute visit, which is the normal amount of time given, like within many medical contexts. And that isn't something you can make money off of. You can't make money off of long visits. So that's something that the health center does and sticks by, which is is different, is really different. We also, within the model, is this idea of offering ways that a client can be in control of the exam. So language like, this is your exam. If at any point you want to stop, we can do that. And we can reschedule if we need to. We don't have to push through. This is not where we're at here. That space within an exam feels really special and different. So over time, Chicago Women's Health Center has expanded services in very slow, intentional, and meaningful ways. And now it makes me so happy and excited that we can offer things like – Acupuncture and herbs, various kinds of massage, counseling, nutrition, pelvic floor therapy, Reiki, a whole variety of complementary care services that expand what people can do. Like if we have somebody in gyne who has a history of sexual trauma and is having real difficulties with the idea of a speculum exam, we can work in collaboration with the counseling program. That person can go back and forth, and we've seen incredible breakthroughs. Mind, body, and spirit are all addressed within visits. The other thing is we've always, from the very beginning, encouraged home remedies— A clove of garlic inserted in the vagina is a wonderful treatment for a yeast infection. And in fact, that again relates directly back to the feminist health movement and the great yogurt conspiracy, which was when a group of women, I believe they were LA-based, were actually charged for practicing medicine without a license because they inserted yogurt in their vaginas when they had a yeast infection. So... It may not feel very radical today to suggest to a client, oh, you can use yogurt, plain yogurt, with good active cultures in an applicator in your vagina as a treatment for yeast infection. But in the early 70s, it was actually a problem. One thing we hear from our clients over and over again is that It's often the first time they feel heard and seen within a medical visit. Providers who deeply listen, respect, and work in tandem, so together people will arrive at a path forward. There's no assumption about what somebody wants or where they're at when they come to CWHC. People, for instance, are offered the opportunity to insert their speculum and use a mirror, but we never assume that that's the better way to do it or that's what everybody wants. There are cultural differences in terms of what people want and what they value. There are language barriers. All these things are taken into account. What I've seen is people often come into visits feeling very nervous or unsettled and that by the time they leave the health center, there's this sense of being self-assured and being able to advocate for themselves. That's one of the things we really, we really offer as well, is like helping people learn how to self-advocate within a medical context. Maybe one of the reasons CWHC still exists, we never tried to grow fast We never tried to multiply ourselves and expand too quickly. We never tried to chase funding to start new programs based on what people thought we should do. It's more important than ever that we have these models that make people feel human. People need to feel that care, that's, that's, that is deeply, deeply political.
0: Um, For the exam itself, you could choose to get undressed, just do half This is not like a clinical setting, but like we are working with you towards the health outcomes that you want. They would kind of explain things as they were going along and then like I was able to ask questions um, and not feel stupid, which was like a really big thing for me just because I didn't know what I was supposed to know or what I couldn't know. Um, something else that we do here differently is that if you would like, you could insert your own speculum and we do use the plastic disposable speculums and I could show you how to do that. Um, and then uh, you could also view your circuits with a mirror and a flashlight if you would like during the exam. Um, so how would you like to do your exam? If I feel safe, I'll be more open. I'll be more forthcoming. I'll ask questions. I won't have to be there kind of like as often because I'll actually have the information. Right. so it looks like you wanna do the bottom half. First, um, would you like to insert your own speculum, or do you want me to do? That? Let me tell my own story in regards to how I came to decide that I wanted hormone therapy. Makes it feel like I'm being cared for rather than having some kind of system laid on top of me.
1: The model still needs to exist because every medical visit is the possibility of a transformative experience. Healthcare holds that possibility, and I think the model and the thought and intention and care people brought to creating these models, which are more like partnerships rather than top-down, I'm going to teach you about yourself, you know? that's what's needed. Like, that kind of partnership, that kind of collaborative approach makes as much sense, if not more sense now, than it did then.
0: Terry Kapsalis is the author of The Hysterical Alphabet, Jane Addams Travel Medicine Kit, and Public Privates, Performing Gynecology from Both Ends of the Speculum. You can learn more about her books and writings at Terrycapsalis.net. In this episode, we've explored why CWHC was needed in the 1970s and even more so now. In coming episodes, we will hear how this model, the same model, is being practiced today, not only in reproductive health care at the health center, but in counseling, trans health care, comprehensive sex ed for young folks, and the many services CWHC has evolved to offer over the last 45 years. We hope you'll join us. Learn more about Chicago Women's Health Center and this podcast at ChicagoWomensHealthCenter.org. Mirror and a Flashlight is made possible by CWHC's community of support. Our special thanks to Corbett versus Dempsey, Women Unite, Early to Bed, Women and Children First Bookstore, Laura McAlpine Consulting for Growth, and Mats Gustafsson and Catalytic Sound. This podcast was produced by me, Ari Mejia, and edited by A.J. Barks, Sarah Rebecca Gaglio, and Terry Capsalis, with additional editorial support from Lisa Shergin. Special thanks to Sandra Maldonado and the generous
1: clients for sharing their experiences.
0: And what is a cervix?
1: Yeah, cervix is um, uh, the neck of the uterus, and it protrudes into the vagina. And if you have a vagina and a cervix, you can insert your finger in your vagina and feel way back there, and it feels like the tip of your nose.